scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good morning. I'm Pastor Tim. Welcome. Turn to someone and say, I'm glad you're here. Say that to someone out loud. I'm glad you're here. Uh, We are um, in a series about social media. And whether we want to embrace it or not, uh, the lives of those we do life with have fully embraced, on the whole, uh, the social media phenomenon, the social media world we're living in. And uh, I tripped over this cartoon. Take a look. Pastor says, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may update your Facebook status. And I picture the couple taking their phones out, you know, as they are. Oh, married, you know. I mean, that we laugh, but isn't it almost true? This is the world we now live in. And this series is about social media and how uh, the series that we're in right now is uh, about that. And this is a great graphic I think uh, Sharon uh, Wynn, our creative director, came up with because this, this has the it just shows us the image we portray to others, right? Um, We don't see uh, our son's missed basket or our daughter's missed goal in soccer or we don't don't show the kids fighting in the back of the SUV and we we don't, uh, you know, post those things. We only put the good stuff out there. But behind the Facebook Lives, there is an authentic person with an authentic story, and things that happen aren't always so positive. As a church, we like to talk about the truth in love, and we like to talk about being real with one another, being authentic with one another, letting people know that our lives aren't perfect, 
And the first week of the series is our marriages aren't perfect. The last weekend, the, the message was our children struggle. And if you ever want to see those two things come together in perfect harmony and live that out, go on a trip together. Can I get an amen from anyone? So we're going to talk about some trips being miserable. I found this random family, so I'll give you a few photos of their vacations over the years. Um, top left, they're little, and we went to see Mickey. Took the whole tribe, cross country, and the family truckster. Went to Wally World. Yes, we did. Then uh, to the right, across the top, is Rocky Mountain National Park. Bottom left, a trip in the car together from Naperville all the way across the country to that location. Uh, eventually ended up in D.C. and made our way back, still with four people in the car. Finally, on the bottom, uh, we are in uh, spring break a couple years ago in Florida. Most of our trips have been living the disposition that the journey's half the fun. Guess what? It's not. No, it, 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 I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be too cynical, but I asked my family this week what their favorite family vacation was, and these were some of the answers. They, and we had, you know, we talked about why and what, what, what they liked about our trips. And, and uh, I have to say behind our Facebook Lives, because these were, uh, for me at least, um, probably on social media at some point in the past. For me, um, there was a story behind that smile that we presented. Look at this family. I mean, what a wonderful trip. What a wonderful experience. And overall, yes, we all have great memories. They, they, they said these were their favorite trip. But I guarantee you at some point on each of these trips and others, I got that look from Kathy. You know the look? The look was, why on God's green earth did I marry this man? That was the look. My kids looked at me on each of these trips when I went Clark Griswold on them and said, Dad is crazy. They were thinking that, I'm sure. Behind our Facebook lives are real experiences. Some trips are miserable, if we're honest. Sometimes in that confined space, emotions run high. And again, we're not posting when our kids don't talk to each other for part of the day because they're mad about something or, or the, the spouse uh, gets mad at another spouse and, and there's tension. And, uh, you know, growing up, we had a dad who said, I'm going to pull this car over right now. Anyone ever hear that or get threatened by that? I vowed I'd never say that in my entire life. I have. Some trips are miserable. We can all relate with Clark, who took the family truckster from Chicago to Wally World. And all the way along the way, they encountered some not-so-Facebook-friendly experiences. They finally get to Wally World out on the West Coast, and uh, expectations are high. The dad finally feels vindicated. He's, he's 
got the family there. And I know it's a sunny, bright day, but let's take a look at when they get to Wally World. First one's here. First one's here. But we're so far away, Clark. Right, right. And at the end of the day, when the lot's all full and everybody's fighting to get out of here, we'll be the first ones out, too, right? Why? Because we're the Griswolds. <laughs> Come on, I'll race you. movies he owes us Clark you're scaring me don't be scared I just think somebody owes us an explanation that's all come on come on come on come Clark, on. Clark now just a minute. <laughs> running with his son arms in the air how many trips have that moment or two along the way if you've ever felt like Clark reading the sign, just quietly let out an audible amen right now. Amen. Amen. Some trips are miserable, even when they have great memories, and even when we know, as we look back, we kind of forget those tense moments and embrace that, that quality time, which is always awesome. Um, but some trips have their challenges. I found another cartoon and uh, let's take a look at that one. As the boat drives away, well, the brochure did say we would get a beautiful Greek island all to ourselves. I mean, this sort of sums it up sometimes. We have such high expectations for the trips we either take as a family or our couples get away or friends go on a friend's weekend or, or we go on a trip, you know, by ourselves. We just, oh, these great expectations. When I travel for continuing ed, I go to a conference. I'm like, ooh, I get a little Tim time, you know? I get a little Tim time. I'm going to go and I get on a plane and I'm going to go see some colleagues in ministry. And 
man, it's going to be great. And I get there, and I've got this great expectation for the time. And I have the first day, and I get off the airplane, and I'm like, yeah, I'm by myself. I can go, I can eat what we want, I can eat what I want, I can sleep whenever I want, I can put the air conditioner down in the hotel as low as it goes. I can do all this stuff because I'm on this time. And that lasts for about half a day. And I get to the next day, I start missing my wife, I start missing being around, I start missing my kids, and it's just this every time. What about you? What are the images from trips we put up? What are what is the, the the great memories, the smiling faces, but the story behind there? There's a trial. There's a challenge. There's hardships even sometimes. Let's take a look back at Luke 15 in your Bibles. This is the prodigal son. The prodigal son, how many of you are familiar with the, with the scripture reading we've heard read today? At some point, a lot of us grew up learning this story in church school, um, the prodigal son, and uh, it's about what we uh, read earlier. Let's turn in Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continues, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So the father gives his son his inheritance. His father gives his son his inheritance. Now, we read that and we go, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how that worked. In Jesus' day, they knew the oldest son gets two-thirds of the estate. The oldest son gets two-thirds. All the other sons got to divide up the remaining one-third. Oldest kids here, that sounds pretty good to you, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's how it worked. So that only having two sons, he would get a, a third monetary value, a third of what his father's estate was worth, and Jesus says, what happens? Well, he gave it to him. Not long after that, verse 13, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. That's what Jesus tells us. He doesn't say what the wild living was, but we have the simple facts. Everything he had, he blew it, and it was wild living. It wasn't moral living, and it was extravagant. Prodigal, Prodigal really translates wasteful. You ever wondered what that word Back to the text. Verse 14, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. The modern-day parallel in our, in our country would be a market crash. It would be a, a market crash, and everyone's struggling and hurting, and uh, what we had is now gone, and so everyone around us is going through that, and uh, we've got to figure it out. Well, there was a famine. Same thing whole country he went to, Jesus says, and he began to be in need. So, 15, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. So now we hear that in our context, and we go, oh, that was nice. He got a little job. He's got something. I mean, it's better than nothing. But really what Jesus wants the hearers to know and what we should know today is this is not good. This is miserable. This is the bottom of the barrel. This is the lowest of lows for the Jewish thought. Why? Because pigs were unclean. Pigs were despised. They could not eat. 
pork, and even if you brushed up against a pig in Jesus' day and you were Jewish, you would be considered unclean. You would have to go through spiritual purification and rituals to get back into the synagogue you belong to. It was a horrible, horrible thing. So Jesus is saying, this is the worst of the worst. Yeah, he got a job, but he is now at the bottom of the barrel. This is the low. Can't get worse than this. He longed to fill his stomach, 16, with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So 17's where it turns on a dime. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. So 18, he's got a plan now. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's his plan. How many of you growing up or now know you're past the time you're supposed to be home or you know you've got a parent waiting for you and the conversation may not go so well? So you're going to come up with a story or a plan. Not a lie, necessarily, but a good story, you know, to kind of tell the parent that, you know, hey, I know I'm late, but here's why, or I know this happened, but this is why it happened. i got to have my story straight before I go in the door because dad or mom are going to have a little talk with me. Well, that's what he's planning here. He's like, What's, what am I going to say? Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So the father threw his arms around his son. Picture the scene for one moment. Here comes the groveling son, bottom of the barrel, lowest of the lows. He's coming back. He's got a story. He's going to grovel. He's going to beg for his father to let him be a servant in his house because he's blown his inheritance. He comes up. You could picture the father in the house, maybe looking out the window, maybe out in front of the estate, looking down the road. He sees a figure coming. He, see, he sees him. He says, could it, could it be? Could, could that be him? I mean, is it, is it possible that's my son? And here he comes, and he goes, that is him. He's got visual ID. He knows it's his son. He doesn't wait for his son to come to him. He races to him. Why? Because he has compassion for his son who's coming home. And he runs and he greets him and he wraps his arms around him. Because he loves him. And he's back. I love this next part. The son says to him, 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The speech he had ready to go. (laughs) One of my favorite parts of this whole story. 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, Bring bring the fatted calf and kill it. By the way, this was a miserable trip for the fatted calf. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. There's a party. His son is back. He thought he was dead. He's alive. 
He thought he'd never see him again. He was right in front of him in arms embrace. This parable is called the parable of the prodigal son so often, but I really like to think about it as the parable of the loving father. This is a parable about our heavenly father and you and me. The prodigal gets all the attention because of what he did. Give me my inheritance. Go out. I'm ending up with pigs. I'm going to have this speech. But it's really a story about the loving father. Doesn't want to hear the story. He just wants to hug his son who's now back where he belongs. So what can we learn about this as we think about our faith, as we think about our heavenly father and our relationship with him? I think um, we can think about it a couple, three things. The first one is the Father in the parable is so giving. Our Heavenly Father is the greatest giver, the most generous being in the universe. Everything we have, and I mean everything, our next breath, our next heartbeat, the next smile from a family member that melts your heart, the next... um, friendship where you have a good conversation and you know you were there for them. Everything, a door opening at work for you, every opportunity, every blessing is a gift from our Heavenly Father. And yet, like the prodigal, sometimes we forget that, don't we? Sometimes we forget that everything I have is God's. Sometimes we forget that, you know, we're not the center of the universe, but God created it. Sometimes we forget who our blessings come from, and we need that reminder. And this parable brings us back, doesn't it? It grounds us back and says, oh no, this isn't about you. This is about a God who is so giving. So giving. And too often we focus on everything we don't have, everything we that didn't work out, everything that, that they have, but I never got that opportunity. Well, guess what? You're forgetting the list of blessings that God has first given to you. Your focus is on the wrong list. We need to be celebrating that we have the most incredible God who gives and is the author of all giving and blessings in our lives. The second thing in this text is the Father is welcoming. He's forgiving. He's so welcoming. I mean, think about it. How many parents would do that? I I might just wait. I might just wait, sit in my chair, wait for if that were me in the text. Let the let the kid let him grovel a little bit. It's good for him. Let him get it. I want to story. Let's go. What do you got? Not in the parable. Compassion moves us to action. Love makes us do incredible things. And this father ran to meet him. Our Heavenly Father is so welcoming. Whenever we come back, whenever we turn to him, the Bible calls that repentance, whenever we tell God we're sorry, whenever we drifted away for a season and we want to come back and we wonder if God will take us, This parable speaks right to you. Oh yeah, he's not only going to take you back, he's going to run before you get there. What an incredible, 
God who is so welcoming. And one of the things I love about this church is I hear over and over again is how welcoming this church is. How welcoming this church is. And how anyone can come through these doors and feel welcomed and loved and accepted and met right where they're at. And yes, there are exceptions to that always with any church. You'll always hear a story. There'll be someone who comes, the greeter says hello, the usher says good morning, and they come and they leave and they say, no one talked to me. Well, of course that can happen once in a while, but overall this place is so welcoming. People go out of their way to make people here feel welcome. And I applaud you for that and keep doing that and keep looking for people in the gathering area you don't know and say good morning and hello and have we met and, and, and my name's Tim and, and uh, you know, just keep that going because we can't forget that the God in this parable is so welcoming and so loving and forgiving. We need to be too as a community of faith. The third thing and the last thing we can learn about the parable of the loving father is this. The Father is loving, unconditional, unconditional. And as humans, we want to put conditions on who God could love. We, get, we want to choose who God can love, but we don't get that luxury. God loves. God is love. And the son in the parable comes home. And what is the driving force in the parable? Love. So if there's anyone here this morning who has thought or thinks God could never love me because of X or Y or Z in my life, this parable is speaking to you. And the answer is, you bet he does. It's unconditional. Jesus went out of his way. The son took for granted his inheritance. He squandered it away in wasteful living. He was at the lowest of lows, feeding the pigs, unclean, broken, did a horrible thing to his father and his family. But the father in the parable says, come home. It's a father who loves. And as people of faith, people working out their faith, as people pondering their relationship with our creator, what better story to tell us that yes, behind this facade and social media, there's an authentic life going on. And God knows everything about it and loves us still and wants to race to you and hold you and love you. In the moment, through it, and into the new creation he's calling you to be. There are trips we take in life, and some are great, some aren't so great. We won't all take the same trips in our earthly walk. You're traveling to places I'll never go, and 
I've been to places you'll never go, like White Castle, for example. But there's one trip we're all going to take. I want to finish in John 14, chapter 14, if you want to join me there in your Bibles, first verse. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms or mansions or dwelling places. Jesus says, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas, one of his disciples, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus answers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Look back at John 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This is God's heaven. This is going to be an awesome trip. It's a trip we're all going to take. And one of the most overwhelming images that I ponder sometimes in my faith journey is that when my earthly walk has concluded, Jesus himself is going to be the one who comes back and takes me to God's heaven. Jesus himself, I'm going to wake to my Lord and Savior, and he is going to, like the father in this parable, probably race to meet me, although I'll probably have a story ready to go. Well, I remember this time, and I did that, and I'm sorry, and, I'm, and he's going to go, I don't want to hear about it. He's going to throw his arms around me, and he's going to bring me into God's house. And guess what? There's going to be a party. There's going to be a celebration. Because a sinner has been redeemed. Not because of what I've done, but because a loving Savior runs to take me there. That's a trip we're all going to take. What an awesome trip. We don't have to hide anything about that. Thanks be to God. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus. And we thank you for his teachings to reveal your heart to us. Lord, may we ever be mindful of all the things you've given us. Forgive us, Lord, for the times our focus is on the things we don't have. And Lord, thank you for welcoming us, even in our brokenness. Forgiving us, even when we run away from you. And thank you, most of all, for your love. 
You loved us all the way to a cross. And Lord, that's cause for celebration. Because your son teaches us there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and comes home than over 99 who don't have to or don't think they need to. And so, Lord, we give you thanks for your love. We give you thanks for this story. We give you thanks that you run to meet us. You wrap your loving arms around us by your Holy Spirit. And you welcome us home. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said together,